everyone, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. And this is Modern Combat and Survival's Friday Reload. We give you the just the down and dirty quick tips from this week's stuff on the blog so that you don't have to go in and and read every single scrap of word that's on there, but just kind of get the, the quick tips from this week so you can you can take it and go. And we had a lot going on in the comments section this this week because we, we hit on some uh, some relatively recent news that really struck a nerve with everybody. So I'm sure we're going to get some some good discussion around there. But let's go ahead and get started with the, um, well, we may as well start right there because it was the first post of this week and it, and it really got a lot of play. So so, Buck, what was the um, what was it that triggered everybody uh, this Monday in the blog? Well, it was the "Are your firearms on a government watch list?" This gun shop owner might tell you yes. Blog post, uh, and this is a topic near and dear to my heart since I live deep behind enemy lines in New York State. Yeah, uh, and that was the story of uh, this gun shop owner who was basically told. You will turn over the records for your 165 customers who bought what's called a bullet button AR-15. This is an abomination created by laws that were quite literally pushed through in the middle of the night here in New York State um, without proper review uh, by our governor, who I like to call Kim Jong Andy, uh, Andrew Cuomo. The the law basically was poorly written. It's vague. There was no exemption for law enforcement officers when they first put it through. So basically every law enforcement officer was criminal when they first enacted this legislation. But the problem is that basically any semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine is now an illegal assault weapon in New York. Uh, and there are ways people thought to get around this. And they were selling um, bullet button AR-15s, which have the magazine catch has been changed out so that you basically have to press a little tab with the end of a bullet in order to remove the magazine. It's an attempt to create a fixed magazine where previously you had a, an easily detachable magazine. So people were selling these bullet button AR-15s. Some joker bought one from this particular store, changed the the magazine switch so that it was a standard AR-15 magazine. He basically illegally modified it and was in possession of this gun when a domestic dispute broke out in his like apartment building. Well, when the cops showed up to talk to the folks who were having the domestic dispute, the first thing they said was, well, our neighbors got an illegal assault weapon. And of course, the first thing that entered my mind was, why do they know that? But anyway, they ratted out their, their neighbor because that's a hallmark of how things work here in New York. Make sure that you call big brother and inform on your neighbors. And, uh, when the cops found his gun and found that it had been illegally modified, they decided to trace it back to where he bought it and said, well, we need to know everybody else who bought one of these bullet button AR-15s. And it isn't just so they can go door to door and check and make sure that the guns haven't been modified. They've now decided that maybe these guns weren't legal to sell in the first place, even though the gun shop owner thought that they were. So every one of these people, including one guy who's a, a, a leader in like a town government, he gave an interview on the radio, they're all staring down the barrel of felony charges for doing what they thought was legal, filling out the forms and buying a rifle in a gun shop, thinking that they were all complying with the law. So, you know, it's terrifying that that this type of thing could be happening. It is not far removed from door-to-door confiscation. And everyone says, well, that's going to happen and you should prepare for it. And other people go, you're paranoid and you're all nuts for thinking that. But they've pulled the records and the next step is going to be to talk to these people who have these rifles. One of my coworkers 
is one of the guys who bought a gun from that very gun store and that morning. Oh, really? He was, he was losing his mind because he was concerned that he was going to go to jail. And, and this is a guy, he's the nicest guy in the world, thought he was complying with the law, bought a, a what he thought was a compliant weapon, you know, a completely neutered AR-15 without an, a, a magazine you could easily change out. Uh, and so he's terrified and everybody else is unhappy. And that's what it's like to be a gun owner here in New York State. I love I love that neutered AR-15. <laughs> yeah, that's a great term. yeah. Basically, I, I I had a friend once who called it crippleware, a a gun that has been intentionally crippled to comply with bureaucrat regulations. Well, what happens to all of the AR-15s that you know were sold prior to the Safe Act and you know had normally detachable magazines? Well, you have a choice. You can either register your evil AR-15 as an assault weapon, thereby putting it on a list so that when they get around to it, they can come confiscated. Mm. Or you can be a felon. Those are your two choices. Huh. You can't sell them legally. You have to get rid of them out of state. Um, and that's, you know, that's the New York Safe Act. Yeah. I love the euphemisms they put on this, on this legislation. They might as well call it the, if you don't vote for this law, you hate puppies and kittens. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. It, it, it really is like living in a, in a prison state. It's a gulag here in New York. Well, it definitely triggered a lot of comments on the blog, and I know you know, ranging all over the place. So, um, so definitely, if this is uh, if you're listening to this and it's triggered something, definitely go check out that blog post, and uh, and go leave your own comment on it. The the next post that we had was our was our podcast for the week, which was podcast number seven, choosing the best guns for home and personal defense with Todd Woodard, and I really enjoyed this interview with Todd, and it was um. Actually, I did this a little. I did this quite a little while ago, and uh, we finally just posting it. But it was this was really about how, like different different features that you want to look for with different classes of weapons. Whether it was we covered concealed carry, we covered backup weapons, we covered tactical shotguns, we covered carbine rifles, we covered basic, um, also also kind of foundational stuff for for choosing any sort of a firearm, and you know. If you've ever gone into like a, a gun store, Cabela's, I know for me when I first start, like I know I know carbine rifles, but I was really clueless with pistols because I'd never I'd always just fired rifles before. When I was looking for a, a home defense pistol here in Texas, I would go to to Cabela's and I would go to the counter and it's like I want to look at that one, and then when I hand it over and it's like I'm staring at the gun, like. Um, Gosh, there's like 400 guys in camouflage hunter hats to the left and right of me, and I don't know what the hell to do with this thing now. Do I hold it up? Do I point it at something? And hmm, how does that feel? Do I do I do I pawn it off as like, yep, that feels good to me. I'll take this one. You know, it was really like, what the hell does somebody do? And when I when I go to the gun store, I can look down and I can see that same deer in the headlight stare from people like. What do you look for? And and Todd's whole thing was it's like it's really the research you do before you even get there. So it's not like you're you're kicking the tires on a gun. There is look and feel. There is you know how does it fit in your hands? How does it you know are you able to access the um, the features of the gun like uh say, you know if there's a manual safety, a magazine release, things like that. There are some technical stuff with it, but for the most part, what he's saying is that. It's it's really the factors that go into choosing your platform to begin with, that and and it's not something that you do 
at the gun store itself. He, you know, according to him, you basically know what you want before you even go to the gun store. Then it's just a matter of putting in your hands. How does it feel? How does it, you know, how how, how can you get to those features and things like that? So, so this was a, this was a really good one for me. We did get some comments like, you know, that this was a very basic information, but it really was designed for people that um, maybe are are trying, like maybe you have a pistol, but you don't have a shotgun, and you're thinking about buying a shotgun. Well, there was some, there were some good tips in there for people that are looking for a different platform than what you already own if you're if you're not like an expert in those areas. So, so definitely go and just and listen to that because I think there's um you know one of the one of the things is like basically don't just think of yourself but think of how another family member might have to use that. So, that was kind of one of my bigger bigger takeaways from it was, you know, I I've, I've got a 12 gauge shotgun. I love my 12 gauge shotgun, but you know, and my son can handle a 12 gauge shotgun, but you know, when he was younger, he might not be able to. But there were other other shotguns that can be effective that my son could use. If I were like unconscious or I got shot in the in the arm or something like that, and I wasn't able to use a weapon, and he was our last line of defense, that he'd be able to use something. I think a lot of people don't really think about that. You know, they've got the the Barrett 50 cal, you know, behind the uh, the safe room door. And uh, and a spouse who doesn't know how to <laughs> lock and load a bullet. So anyway, that was pretty. I, I got a lot out of it. So yeah, I think one of the difficulties in basically any time you do a, a publication like this, there's so many different levels of information that people have, and you know you can always target the beginners and assume no information. Then of course you can't get into the more advanced stuff, or you can assume a level of information and then you're leaving some people behind. So a lot of times what you get when it comes to the basic stuff is you get readers or listeners who go, well, I, I knew that already. And my reaction to that is always, that's great. I'm glad you knew that already. You know, let's use that as a foundation and, and look for other stuff. Yeah. And that's, and that's where, you know, what I want is for people to add to the conversation, you know, like nobody put in there about how they go gun shopping or like what they do at the counter. And that's really what I was trying to do was kind of like, you know, get people to engage in the conversation with, you know, like I'm looking for people to add their own advice. I'm not looking for freaking cr- critique, you know, I, or, or the tone of my voice or, you know, whatever. I'm What I'm looking for is for people to add to the conversation because we have, I mean, we have over 600,000 followers now. It's freaking amazing. I mean, we're growing in leaps and bounds and, and, um, and it's and it's and we have and we're made up of people all around the world actually who have great information. Um, yeah, you know, I'll give you an example. I was just looking at some stuff on our Facebook page today. Which, um, if you're on Facebook, it's facebook.com/slash/modern-combat-and-survival. And uh, we did a post in there about you know choosing different weapons. Like, if you could only choose the best three weapon combination, which would you choose? What what shocked me was that. We got comments in there from people from Croatia, um, where was it? Well, the UK a lot, um, South Africa. So we got uh, Malaysia. We had a, a comment in there from Malaysia. So what's interesting is that there are people having firearm conversations from all around the world. And it wasn't just a typical like, well, you guys over in America are, are sick and insane. We don't have that kind of problem in, in Malaysia. It was, you know, we're allowed to have this. We're not allowed to have that. So if you live here, here's a good, you know, here's a good strategy for for having a firearm here. You know, that sort of thing. Like we're allowed to have these types of weapons. So get one of those types of weapons. So, 
you know, we, we have, we have information that is available from all around the world. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. People love those desert island lifeboat. If you could only have X type of conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to see people. I like, I like to hear people's um, strategies behind what they choose too. Most of the time it really comes down to what you're familiar with. You know, um, Jake is, is, is new on our team and everything. And he actually left a comment in there and his first choice was, and AR-15 because, and his reasoning is the same as mine. It's like, it's what I'm, being in the military, it's what I'm most comfortable with. It's what I'm more familiar with. So a lot of people think in terms of like weapons as, well, what's the best stopping power? What's this and like that? It's the one that you can, you have readily available as well as that you can handle proficiently. For me, that's not a pistol yet. That's why I take pistol training. And and it's not a shotgun because that's, I I I'm I'm taking shotgun training. You know, I'm still looking for that. But the carbine rifle is like an extension of my body because of my time in the military. So that's the one. If I've got to if I've got to choose something for even for home defense, I like I like the carbine rifle because I mean it has lots of you know we don't have to go into all the reasons why, but it it is it is a good home defense weapon in the right circumstances in the right hands, and it just happens to be something that I'm I'm very familiar with. So. Yeah, the the latest retro cool trend for the AR-15 are actually triangular handguards, like uh, they used mm-hmm. to have in Vietnam era. Yeah, you, you, people are buying those and putting them on now to be like anti-tactical or something. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, one well, of my favorite uh, one of my favorite posts this week was the the one from uh, Russell Stutley. Uh, Here's the super simple science behind how to knock someone out with one punch. Post. Um, and yeah, Russell believes in a pressure point system and it doesn't really matter if you believe in pressure points or you know i i'm going to hit you in spleen 314 or, or not it, none of that matters but uh if you know where to hit somebody you can hit them very effectively and the science of knocking someone out with one punch his post was all about a pressure point called gallbladder 20 which if you look at the diagram in the post it's that knockout button that just about any boxer knows about. It's that junction where the jaw and the ear are are located. Um, and his post is all about how to effectively target that spot and nail somebody with it, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you're punching them, you're elbowing them, you're slapping them. Basically, it sucks to get nailed really hard in that spot. And uh, I just thought that was, uh, you know, not only a fascinating post, because I'm, I'm a sucker for anything that involves here's how to hit somebody really hard, but because it doesn't matter on what level you subscribe to belief in that pressure point system. And, you know, there are people who are like, well, you know, I hit him with my master's deadly dragon death touch delayed strike. And three days later, he fell over and crapped himself. You know, I think <laughs> a lot of people think that's nonsense, but, but, you know, if you know that hitting someone here is particularly effective because there's a nerve there and because, you know, it's like, you, you jar their jaw and shake their brain around inside the, the skull. It's it's just practical, effective material. Yeah, and uh, this was a guest post from Russell Stutley, and his uh, his website is Secret Knockout uh, or Secret Pressure Point Knockouts dot com. Secret Pressure Point Knockouts dot com. And and I'm a big fan of Russell's stuff because we have a lot of people when we talk about self defense on the blog, they're like, well, that's that's great, you know, you know, use a hammer fist and and circle their head twice around their body but you know me i'm i'm 78 years old and you know going up against a biker that's probably not very realistic and 
you know, so this, this gets in people's heads that, you know, if somebody's bigger and stronger than me, I really don't have a, a means of defending myself. And it's just absolutely wrong. I mean, there, are, there is this roadmap around the body that does not take a lot of force or strength or anything to be able to incapacitate somebody. I mean, there's the, if you want to just think in terms of physical things, as far as like more obvious, there's the testicles, obviously, and there's like the eyes and things like that. I don't care if somebody is 500 pounds of stacked muscle, their eyes do not have muscle over it, you know, that's going to protect it, you know, so, and if anybody's ever had, so, you know, so just taking your fingers and raking across the eyes and when you scratch it, it's, it's, it isn't, if they can't see you, they can't, you know, they, they can't harm you. So that's just, that's one example. But then there are, there is this kind of a hidden roadmap around the body where they are, it is a certain, um, you know, uh, um, convergence of nerves or whatever that even just striking that area, not even that hard. Um, I've seen Russell do some amazing things on people with no force whatsoever and just put them down on their knees like they'd just been hit by a Mack truck. And so, um, so I think that what I like about Russell's, Russell's platform for his entire system is that it's not based on strength. Stuff. Now, some of his videos, like on a video on his site, you know, it does show like a barroom brawl and, and it shows like how to how to get out of that. But it's his pressure point stuff that he incorporates in all of his self-defense training that is really intriguing to me. And I think it works for a lot of people because you don't need to be a big badass in order to pull them off. Well, the, the other thing, I love Russell's videos because he's one of those instructors in our uh, ISCQC network who I always say to myself, Never be that guy's training partner. Yeah. There, there's a few of them, and, and they'll get up on camera and they'll go, now, I'm not going to hit him really hard. Wham! And, and, the, and the partner looks like he's ready to wet himself. And, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. He's one of those guys who are like, I don't ever want to be his training partner ever. Yeah. Another guy, you know the other guy that that's like I would never want to, Moni Isaac. Like yes, watch yes. as I choke out my my training partner to unconsciousness. <laughs> this poor kid, you know, is just sitting there with like you know his his face turning blue and a vessel about ready to burst in his forehead. And well, uh, I, I can't remember the was it was it Russell who did that egg cutter technique to the head? Yes, is that a different yeah, no, yeah, that was and, Russell. And it was it was the egg cutter video that made me go never ever agree to assist Russell stupidly with anything. Cause he, a couple of times he's like, now I'm not actually going to hit him. And then he hit that guy so hard that he looked like he forgot math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any case, so go and check out this post because there is, you know, it's not just a matter of, um, so it shows you where this point is. And then it also talks about, um, how to hit through the target rather than just like focusing in on that, like hitting to that point, but also that you can, you can really magnify the power of any strike that you do by using this, this knockout quadrant that he talks about and looking at the head as kind of like this three dimensional um, set of quadrants and going in and diagonal and through the head greatly increases the force and your chances for a knockout. So so that's a, a really definitely go check out that post and it shows you in diagram where all that stuff is. And the final post that we've got today is uh, from a friend of mine um, who has a set of uh, training cards and it's at dry fire 
trainingexercises.com. And they're, they're from, I've, I've got these training, they're dry fire cards, basically a deck of 52 cards that you just pull them out and they have different exercises on them. And I'm, I love these things. In fact, I, they're, they're super cheap. Um, cause I paid for, I, I forgot it was, I forgot who the guy was, but he's like this, this super extraordinary, well-known tactical firearms training expert out there from personal defense network or something. And, um, and I really liked kind of, you know, what he was doing, but it was, it was kind of advanced stuff, but I got his cards, uh, cause he had dry fire cards too. In fact, I'm not going to, I've got them right here. I'm not going to say his name <laughs> because I'm not going to call him out. But I bought these cards and they were like forty dollars for these cards, and um, and all they were was like you, you like grab the thirty six rounds and set up these three targets here and have a door and it was like you know get behind the barricade and then two rounds each to the strong side of the barricade and then transfer two rounds each to the weak side of the barricade etc. And it was like well that sounds like a whole lot of setup um, for for doing this dry fire and everything. Um, my friend, my friend Ox's stuff is really just, um, it's, it's like simple stuff you can do at home right now. And this was one of the ones that I really liked because it was a low light training exercise. And as we, you know, as we know from, from reports, a majority of like true gunfighting stuff that civilians are going to get into are going to be low light. So, you know, you think kind of the bump in the night sort of a thing. And that's what this, this exercise was built kind of around the, it's a bump in the night. You've, you, you're forced to, for some reason, go and clear your home or check it out or something. Um, and, and, and I'll get into one of the comments on that. But anyway, but anyway, here's the, um, here's the exercise. I'll read it right off of the card. So it's called the He Hates Cans Low Light uh, Training Exercise. Have a training partner place cans or post-it notes around a room. Turn off the lights, enter the room with your flashlight and weapon ready, find and engage each target. I actually did this with, with a friend of mine and we set up soda, well not, not soda cans, they were, they were, um, they were carbonated water cans. Um, we set up around, around the house and the other, the, the key here is to have the other training partner put them up so that you don't know where they are. And then with the lights out or the lights in however you would normally have the lights you know, if you have a nightlight and stuff like that in the house, have all that stuff on the way that you practically would use it. Your your your, let, your home would be lit at night, and then go through with your with your a safely uh, a safe dry fire firearm. So no ammunition in it, uh, ammunition not even in the room. Have somebody have your partner manually check to make sure that the uh that the firearm is not is not loaded you know so you need to be really 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 safe for that but then as you go through with your flashlight or however you're set up for low light scenarios go through and find each one and what we found was that it made it it made it better when you kind of have a contest and you you train times and you see who can actually identify the target and then dry fire. I actually use a cert I have a cert training pistol so you can actually see whether or not you're hitting the target and so then you move on to the, to the next target. Um, we all, some of the other things that we noticed when we did this training exercise was, was the use of cover and concealment. So, um, as you move through your home, it also teaches you not just to identify targets, but then also, especially in low light, how do you use uh, different forms of cover and concealment to make your way through your home? So I thought this was a really great training exercise, a lot of fun. Um, you can find all these cards at, at Ox's site at dryfiretrainingexercises.com. Um, definitely, 
definitely these cards are a must-have. There's lots of really, really cool stuff in there. What was the actual name of that post on the blog, Jeff? It was called Dry Fire Training Exercise, How a Six-Pack of Beer and a Buddy Can Help You to Train for Low-Light Home Defense Scenarios. Thanks for reminding me about that. That's what it's that's what it's called. And um I said we had a comment on that. I can't remember what the hell the comment was. Uh, anyway. Um so so those are the uh those are the the posts that we had for this week. And um now we go into the part of the the Friday reload where we talk about what do you know? And this is really just like Buck and I just going through the internet or something we learned during the week that we didn't know last week that we think will be valuable to you. So, um, you know, I'll go first this this week, Buck. And, and um, so here's what I know this week. And and, and I actually I saw it's, it's timely because I saw some comments on this on on our Facebook page, too. But what I learned this week is that wasp spray is bullshit. <laughs> and. And I know this is a this is this is a real myth that that's out there. Like you know, use wasp spray in, instead of pepper spray because it it travels. You know, you get a, you get a much further distance on it, and it is um you know it's it's very targeted. It comes out in a very specific stream, and it is incapacitating when it gets in their eyes. And then some people warn you, but it will permanently blind them. And so do not. You know, you have to be very careful, but then other people say, well, screw them. I'm permanently blinding that bastard at the end of my hallway. It's um, a lawsuit in a can. <laughs> yeah. So um, the problem is, is that, you know, pepper spray, you can go to, you can go to a pepper spray class or if you're in security or law enforcement and you get sprayed with pepper spray. Like you've, you've got to know how it feels, what's going to happen to the person that you, you spray it with. And then... Also, if you get sprayed, how to fight back and, and be able to, you know, get to a point where you're coherent again, that you can actually defend yourself because if there's blowback or something like that. So I don't know of too many courses, though, where it's like, okay, everybody line up. We have a can of wasp spray. Now open your eyes and <laughs> spray them with wasp spray. So I think that's what's perpetuated this myth about wasp spray. Now, where I live in Texas, we are inundated with mud wasps. I mean, they just, they're like, flocks of seagulls at the beach around here and they get up in your in your home and they're not they don't really um they're not really on a, like an attack mission but they just they're just kind of there but they're all over the place so we've got them like they're trying to get up in our rafters and they're always making these nests on our house and so i have pepper spray i'm, I'm sorry not pepper spray <laughs> pepper spraying them um i have wasp spray to kill these things heavy duty wasp spray from raid i think it is and and first of all the stream that comes out does not start out as like an instant high propulsion stream of wasp spray it like kind of like starts to come out and then it's like okay i'm finally coming out so any bad guy that sees you trying to spray them with wasp spray is you know it's like they're going to cover their eyes it's a it's a it's a it's a you've got to hit them in the eyes in order for the wasp spray to work um and so with a moving head and somebody that sees it coming, you're not even going to hit them in the eyes. Um, as opposed to pepper spray, which all it has to do is like get on their face, and it's, it's designed to close off the airways and things like that, um, even if you don't hit them in the eyes. So that's, that's one thing right there. The other thing is that I, it was windy 
the uh, the other day when I was spray, I was getting ready to spray this wasp nest, and it blew back and it got in my eyes. Oh, and I can still see. So it really did not sting that bad, and my eyes watered up a little bit, and it, you know, and it and it just flushed it out. I didn't, you know, I didn't even have to rinse my eyes with water. So, you know, while I'm not going to stand there and let somebody, and I'm not saying somebody spray you in the eyes with wasp spray, it was not incapacitating. Now, if that were pepper spray and it got in my eyes, if you've ever even just touched your eyes after working with, you know, making a salsa with jalapeno peppers, you know, it burns like hell. And that was that was just like with a little bit of the oil from a pepper itself. Pepper spray is even worse than that. So um, it truly is meant to be incapacitating. So don't don't have the 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 um, the can of wasp spray in your safe room ready to go, and you know think that you're going to be incapacitating a gang of thugs at the end of the uh, at the end of the hallway. Get true pepper spray, and in some in some places, I know you can get like a canister of it or something where, you know, it's um. I mean, I know they have like foggers and stuff like that. I'm sure that it's really designed for law enforcement at the at the high level. Like, let's let's create a cloud of pepper spray mode. But pepper spray coming out in a cone shape is much better than wa- worthless wasp spray coming out in a in a drizzle in a in a pinpoint target. Anyway, that's what I learned the hard way. <laughs> so, well, and if it's not the wasp spray, it's the oven cleaner. It's like, would you just a rest for them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Buck. So, what do you know this week? Well, what I, I found while I was combing the internet for survival tips, I found a site called SurvivalOutdoorsKills.com, and it was an interesting site because there was a lot of different uh, survival lore presented there. But one of the things that I hadn't thought of that was just a kind of a good point. If you've ever been to the camping aisle of your your local, you know, sportsman's store, like a Gander Mountain or a Bass Pro Shots or something like that, you'll see plenty of material from a company called Coughlin's. And for as long as I can remember, Coughlin's has been selling survival gear. They actually make this little aluminum pot holder that is one of the items that I think is very useful for camping because you can use it to hold any any can of food over the fire. It's just one of those extremely useful implements you might not think of at first glance. But Coughlin's offers, like so many companies do, a survival kit in a tin, and they call it their survival kit in a can. You know, it's one of those things that looks like a tin of sardines, and you open it up, and it's got a bunch of little odds and ends in there, like mm-hmm. uh, sewing needles and safety pins and a little compass, and sometimes there's a little knife, and it depends on what you what you buy exactly, but many different outfits offer variations on this survival tin. But uh, the guy who uh, does this website, uh, Survival Outdoor Skills, I'm sorry, I, I think I said Survival Outdoor Skills. It's it's Survival yeah, Outdoors. <laughs> survival Outdoor Skills, but I read it as Survival Outdoors Kills. <laughs> so Freudian clip. Um, either way, the URL will get you there. But uh, uh, the the Coughlin survival kit in the can, he pointed out, the stuff inside is really cheap. It's junk. And yeah. if you buy that and then you rely on some of the stuff in there, what you've got is basically a, a tin full of garbage. And, I, I, you know, these are things we usually buy and then don't bother to use. So what it taught me was just a lesson that deserves being reminded of week after week. When you buy this stuff, don't buy one, buy two, 
and then take one out and play with it for a weekend. You know, like go camping in your backyard with this stuff and see just how bad off you'd be if this was all you had. And uh, it, it's it's good to be reminded that you really need to test this stuff to make sure that you didn't just buy something that looked great in the wrapper and had plenty of stuff and had a nice long list, but was essentially junk. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that happen with um with with backpacks, with um entrenching tools. Um I still, you know, the entrenching tool, I think I've written about that before. Where you know, I got one at Cabela's for my son because he was starting to do um uh metal detecting, so I got him one like an entrenching tool, a foldable shovel, like a military style foldable shovel from Cabela's. And uh, he took it out one time to go and dig some stuff up around our property that, you know, mostly bottle caps or something. But he was, um, you know, within one time, even fully tightened down, the thing was rattling all over the place. Like it, it just loosened up all the joints and everything like that. My, um, the, the entrenching tool that I still have from the Army, in fact, I've, I've had it since I, I first joined the Army. I just kind of always had it with me. That thing has dug many a foxhole, and it's rock solid. When it's tight, I mean, it's tight. And so there's a lot of cheap stuff coming over from from China in the survival market, and it's just you know the time that, to find out that it's really worthless is not when you're actually trying to use it for survival purposes. You know, it's funny you mention that because I bought what was a basically a reproduction entrenching tool. It was, you know, with OT green. It looked just like the folding entrenching tool that I remember my father having that he bought at a military surplus store in, you know, the 70s or something that he always had around. And uh, the very first time I ever tried to dig anything with it, it wouldn't stay open. So what I had was a shovel that wasn't a shovel at all, because the second you put it in the ground, it would fold up. Yeah. So I, I got so disgusted, I threw it away. I actually threw it in the trash. Yeah. Yep. Well, good information. Good information. Okay. All right, everybody. So that's uh, that's what was happening this week. And um, we have a lot more in store for you next week, including another great podcast interview with uh, with one of our, our networked instructors. So, um, so definitely check that out. And until the next Reload podcast, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. Saying train hard. Stay safe. And prepare now. Thanks, everyone. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.